Go ahead and ask you to turn your attention. Show a video here. Why do we need to forgive? There wasn't forgiveness in the world. God won't even forget give us. Forgiveness is like giving somebody a second chance. And God always wants us to give a second chance to other people. Because otherwise, if we didn't forgive, we might lose all our friends. Because we would just say, I'm not your friend. You're not my friend anymore. You did something wrong. You messed up my stuff. And then everybody would have no friends except imagine they were friends. Out of the mouth of babes, right? It starts young, doesn't it? The whole, my friends, my enemies, us, you. And it's good to see you here. If you saw what we posted on Facebook, it was how to get even (laughs) with your enemies. So it's so glad, I mean, it's so good to see everybody who came today who said, I'm ready to get even with that no good You know what? And so I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, We're going to pick up with the second part. Some of you are like, I wasn't here last week. What did I get myself into? Um, We're going to pick up where we left off last week in our message on enemies. In Matthew chapter 5, we're going to begin there in verse uh, 43. Matthew 5 and verse 43. Before we jump into that text again, uh, I want to let everybody know in case you haven't read it there uh, in your in your worship guide or didn't see it on the screens earlier. This Friday night at 7 o'clock, where you're sitting is going to be the Fellowship of Christian Athletes rally for all of Franklin County High School. Amen. Yes. And uh, the the band will be will be playing here and, and we're going to do some some songs for that. The gospel will be uh, presented. We'll make sure of that. And uh, Fred, I think, even is going to do an interpretive dance. Right. <laughs> or maybe not. Right. I'm just kidding. But uh, but seriously, if you know students that are that are between the, the uh, grades of six and 12, if you're older or younger than that, is if you bring kids, you just need to, you know, make sure you watch them because they could get lost and that would not be a bad thing or that would not be a good thing rather uh depending on your relationship with your child moving on so seriously it's a great opportunity to invite your your students to um get on facebook get on the phone knock on doors bring kids because it's stuff like this people say you can't really do events anymore well it depends on how they're done you can do events to the glory of god today in this culture even with students so it's time for us to do groundwork. Amen, church. Get students here. And this is gonna, not just a Rocky Mount Baptist Church thing. It's just because we have cool people like Angela Oliver. It's like, how about we do it at my church? And they're like, good idea. And we're like, Angela, we love you because move, the band loves you because if they had to move all of this stuff, um, that would be rough. So it's going to be a great event. Uh, and also, um, we just finished up our third three round or three week class on membership today and we're going to start the next round next week if you are new to church or if you're if you're new here from another church or if you're just looking for where god would have you to go or if the church thing is just totally totally brand new to you uh Go ahead and just, uh, you can send us an email or give me a call. All the information is there on the bulletin. We have some spots left for this next class. And uh, we'd love for you to be able to do that. Because we're not a church that just tries to get as many people as we can to come down the aisles as quickly as possible. 
Now, some of you are like, now hold on, Jeff. Do we want the church to grow? The church growing is a byproduct of truly loving people. And truly loving people means informing people of what the gospel is, what the church is about, and really who we are and where we've come from. So if you're here new with us and you're thinking about, is this the place that God has for me? Or if you're a member who's joined in the last couple of years and you haven't been through that class yet, uh, it's not a class to where you're automatically a member once you finish it. It's something for people to be able to come and simply learn. So we'd love to have you in that. So if you have your Bibles, uh, open them up, or if you're using your smartphone or your tablet, but you can open that up as well. Verse 43 of Matthew chapter 5, and the Bible says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your whom? Your enemy. But, and so here Jesus gives the shift, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and send rains on the just and on the unjust. For, now here's where it really begins to get convicting. For if you love those who what? Love you. In other words, Jesus said, if you love those who like you in return, here's the shifter, If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. In other words, don't white-collar professional tax cheats do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? In other words, do not even gang members greet each other. And then Jesus says this. Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Verse 48, you therefore must be, help me out church, you must be perfect. This is going to be awesome when we get to that next week. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Now we live in a culture that says by and large to love your friends and distance yourselves from your enemies. You need to have your friends to surround you. It was the same thing in Jesus' day. But make no mistake, Jesus says, to follow me, you must be one who does not just have a collection of friends. We're BFFs. We like the same thing. We're of the same political beliefs. We, we both enjoy doing the same activities together. But Jesus says, you must both love and pray for those who are your enemies. Anybody ready to sign up? That's going to be the invitation, right? Does anybody want to come forward in the invitation and say, Today, I'm going to begin to take pains upon myself to show love and to pray that God would bless my enemies. We have one. Thank you, Joseph. And the background here is Jesus is going back to Leviticus. And if we don't read our Bibles carefully, we'll actually take hook, line, and sinker what the people of that day did. They believed what they were told when they went to church instead of actually searching the word of God for themselves. Notice Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Is the phrase love your neighbor in the Old Testament? Absolutely. 
Is the phrase, you shall hate your enemy in the Old Testament? Absolutely not. If you're taking notes, go ahead and follow along with me here. Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18. This is what the Bible says. Quote, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but... You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Zechariah chapter 7 verse 10. In the Old Testament. Do not oppress the widow, the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor. And let none of you devise evil against one another in your heart. Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 34 tells us how we are to treat those who are illegal aliens or recent immigrants among us. The Bible says, you shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you, with you as the native among you. And you shall, check this out, love him as yourself. For you are strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So the Bible says in the Old Testament that not only are we to love our neighbor. Notice that they, they, they left that off. The teachers of that day would say, you need to love your neighbor but hate your enemy. Not only did they omit love your neighbor as what? yourself, but they added something to the Bible that wasn't even there in the beginning. So I want to just encourage every single one of us here. There is something that is parading in the South and it's called bumper sticker theology. We knocked one of them last week. The whole God won't give you more than you can handle. Please don't say that to people because the point is all about what we can handle. The gospel is that we can't handle what we have and that's our own sin and jesus came in to bear that for us right things like cleanliness is next to godliness so what you're saying is if i go home and i take a bath and i use i use axe spray or deodorant or or old spice and i get all old spiced up what a bad name for cologne but it sells what are you wearing old spice I could have your number, right? I mean, it's just, it's a strange thing. You say, like, if, if, if I, if I get a shave and I know that weirded some of y'all out for months, you're like, he has a beard, is he turned total hippie, right? I mean, it's just like, are we literally saying when we get those crazy phrases that are, that are popular in culture, but not in God's word, that if we get cleaned up on the outside, that God's like, right on. You're in. No, remember what Jesus said? He said, the Pharisees, you guys look great on the outside. But in the inside, you're like, you're full of dead men's bones. I mean, what weird, bizarre sayings that we, that we hear in our culture, and we just repeat. It comes into the ear, and it goes out the mouth without going through the seed and the filter of God's word. So regardless if you were raised on one-liner sayings that seem to be true, we always want to measure what we were raised with according to what God's Word actually says. Amen? And we hear this. And may God help us when we use this phrase. This could apply to, to homosexuality or drunkenness. And we'll say, well, you know, I, I, just, I just wasn't raised that way. Who cares? Who cares? And even more so, when you say that in our postmodern culture, to where truth is irrelevant to people, they'll say, well, that's cool, but they were. What do you say then? Well, I wasn't raised that way. 
What you're saying at that point is that my family is qualitatively and morally better than your family. And that's the last thing that we want to communicate to people in the gospel. The gospel communicates that I am, I am jacked up and it's only because of Jesus that I'm alive, you see. Who cares how we were raised? The question is, what does the Bible say? You say, well, man, that, that, Jeff, if you're saying this stuff, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's clashing with what I've, I've thought to be the case all these years. Imagine what it was like when these missionaries go into places like Burma. Going to places like India where people are literally bowing down to idols and worshiping the demons they believe live in the idols. Talk about a little life change. You show up and you're like, hey, there's one God. They're like, I thought there were 300 million plus. I'm like, no, there's one God. He created everything that is and he came to die to save you through the, the son, his son, Jesus, Jesus. I mean, you talk about life change. A Muslim who comes to Jesus often, often they lose their identity and their family. So let's be careful in the South that we don't come to Jesus with all take that under advisement mentality. We okay in the church this morning? We come to him and say, what do you command? And we say, I will answer. But notice what the Pharisees left off. They left off, you shall love the neighbor, your neighbor as yourself. Let's just take a time out. We're good at loving ourselves, aren't we? Some of y'all don't want to admit it. He's not talking about me. (laughs) Talk about her. Especially him. I mean, we are good at taking care of ourselves. I mean, just, just think, just think for a moment about mirrors. The time that people, we, some of us don't care, right? Amen. We just, you know, some guys are just like, get out of the shower, do this with your hair and walk out the door, right? Amen. But I mean, uh, uh, the people, we, we stand in front of the mirror and we say, how do I look? How am I going to be perceived? Or, or, or I'm going to go to this restaurant because I like this food better. And we are very good at taking care of ourselves. And in jail ministry yesterday, we discussed a, a little bit that, that we all have basically a PhD in making excuses for what we do wrong. But when it comes to giving grace to our enemies, who do wrong, we haven't even been to kindergarten. Y'all still okay? We're good at loving ourselves. And even in our culture today, uh, this may be a revelation to some of you. Do you know what a selfie is? Some of you are like, God made your selfie. I mean, you are yourself. Right. It's where you take, you hold your phone and you take a picture of yourself or you take a picture of the mirror and then you take, and then here's the thing, we have a selfie culture. I mean, this may be convicting for some. It's like, how many pictures of yourself do you have on your phone? I'll go ahead and be real and honest. When I was a high schooler, you know, once you get about 14 or 15, you may have one vein on your bicep, right guys? But you're totally Arnold. Like you're a Schwarzenegger all the way. And me and my buddies, we would get together and we would work out and we would do push-ups and, and try to do some pull-ups and make our muscles as big as possible. And then we would pull out a 110. This is going back. Some of the students here, you have guys have no idea what a 110 camera is. It's a piece of junk. And we would take pictures, bring them to Walmart, get them developed, and then put them up as motivation. Some of you are like, he definitely was homeschooled. Definitely had my doubts, but Lord have mercy. And Fred, I'm going to get in trouble saying this, but I mean, I, it was amazing with our with our directory, right? And I, I didn't go in there because you know some people they want to, you know, 
I mean, per- perfect for the, for that. And then some people, they, did, they don't, they don't want to, you know, have a picture in the directory and we're like, well, you know, we want everybody to be on the same page and stuff. I mean, it's amazing. Some people, here's the thing. If you think somebody's non-aggressive and they don't like taking pictures, try taking a picture. They will come from cat to lion in 0.2 seconds. Why? Because we're good at loving ourselves. We're good at wanting per- to present ourselves in a good light. And just a note here, Jesus is quoting the Old Testament. And the Old Testament gets kicked around all the time in our culture, does it not? The younger you are, the more real this is. Especially if you're in college today, you take college class, people will just throw it out. They don't even know what it means. They'll throw it out, right? They'll throw out, well, the Old Testament has all that blood and guts and gore and violence, and it's not merciful at all. It's an immoral document. It's unethical. Listen, the Old Testament is awesome. Because how do you understand what the Old Testament really was about? Look at what Jesus says about the Old Testament. Jesus is saying the letter of the Old Testament law was not that you love your friends and hate your enemies, but that you love your neighbor as yourself. And something like, okay. Question. Who is my neighbor? Good question, is it not? Remember the guy asked Jesus that? And Jesus told the Good Samaritan story. Got the Jewish guy, he gets jumped, beaten up, almost, almost dead. And you've got the, you know, the Jewish scribe, the legal guy, he comes by and goes to the other side of the road. The priest comes by, passes his own guy over. And then the Samaritan, I mean, we don't even have an equivalent in English in the West, in America for this. Some people say, well, you know, it's like the black and white issue back in the 60s. No, it was way worse. The Samaritan is the one who comes and cleans the guy up and puts him on his animal, takes him to the inn, says, I'll pay for him. I'll pay for his medical bills. I'll pay for him to recover. And you just put it on my tab next time I come through town. When the Jews and the Samaritans hated one another. And then Jesus, I mean, you could probably almost hear the crowd in the background like, ooh, when Jesus said, who's your neighbor? Who's your neighbor? The Pharisees thought, if I can figure out who's my neighbor and who's not, I can love the ones who are my neighbors and then push to the side or hate those who are not. Jesus says, everyone is our neighbor. In the Old Testament, you see this struggle for identity as well, don't you? You see that the Jews, God gave them a theocracy that doesn't apply today. That was for them to where God is speaking through his prophets, but they wanted to be like the other nations. Do you remember when they wanted the king? Remember the story in the Old, Old Testament that said, well, we want to be like all the other nations and, and have a king. God, we know that you've given us your word, but we want to be like them. And God told the prophet Samuel, they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me. Question. Do you remember when you went through the identity crisis? Who am I? Some of us maybe still be going through that. Remember growing up, I'll tell you, uh, another one, I, I uh, you know, middle school, middle school can be an awkward time. Honestly. Amen. You, you know, you're, you're, you're growing and, and changes are happening. You're not exactly sure. I mean, I, when I was going through that time, I was like, well, you know, what, what do I become? Like, who, who am I? I mean, do I, and I'm being serious, do I go ahead and take the karate classes and be like a karate guy? Or, or, or do I just go full on, you know, country boy and like a guy I never forgot when I was in, in high school. And I said, you know, do you want to come, come play ball? And he said, quote, I don't play ball. I ride bulls. No joke. No joke, that's what he did. And he totally did. Like he totally rode bulls. And it was the whole cowboy get up. And his thing is like, I don't, I don't play with balls, footballs and basketballs and volleyballs like little babies. I ride gigantic animals that can mangle you to death. 
That was his, that was his identity. And then, you know, going through school, it's like, well, you know, if I'm not the best at sports, do I, do I try to throw myself into studies and become, you know, like the rain man, like super smart, like everybody knows you as a smart guy, you know, or, or I mean, it, it could be like I, you become the sports guy to everybody knows that you're the, you're the person who's good at this. And sometimes it's so difficult, is it not? To find out who am I? What are my strengths? What am I to be known as? And it happened to the people in the Old Testament. And here was the dividing point. They wanted to be like everyone else. You remember those Michael Jordan commercials? Want to be like Mike? Everybody wants to be like Mike. We'd spend $100 on shoes to be like Mike. And we still know that white man can't jump. Right? It's like, bro, you know, you can buy the shoes, but you, you still can't, you still can't jump. You know what Jesus is saying here? Go with me to verse 48. He says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. This is a thread running through the Old Testament and the New Testament that we have been made. Genesis 1, man, right out of the gate. We have been made in the image of God. That's incredible. We've been made in his image till we know the difference between right and wrong. We're not mere animals. No matter what your students may hear and your kids may hear, they are not animals. They're made in the image of God. But we know that sin has come in, right? And sin has twisted that around. And it's made it difficult. It's made it literally, if we want to be biblical about it, impossible to be like God. If you're taking notes, this would be a great text to look at later. Romans chapter 3 and verse 19 and 20. The Bible tells us, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. And it says that the law was given so that every mouth... The parents, you'll love this. This is going to go on your fridge. That every mouth may be stopped and the whole world become guilty before God? You're telling me that that's the reason why God gave the law? To bring people to an end of themselves? That's what the word says and that's what Jesus is pointing to. You see, now Jeff, you said a moment ago that our culture is kind of like the one that Jesus did. But our culture does not teach hate today. No, in, in school today, Pastor Jeff, we learn about tolerance. Let me correct something. Tolerance does not mean saying that everybody is right. Especially if it's about the same thing. That is called having brain, and we're not making fun of people, this is, this is a fact. That's called having brain liposuction. That's saying that something can be true and false at the same time. That's saying that Jesus did rise from the dead physically, and it's also saying that Jesus did not rise from the dead physically, and we say, well, we're being tolerant, so both of those are true. That is not what tolerance has meant. From the enlightenment all the way to the founding of our country. Enlightenment means, or excuse me, um, tolerance means I will not throw you in jail for expressing your opinion. It is the right to voice an opinion, but it doesn't mean that everyone is right. Are we okay? If we say that is your truth and that is her truth and this is my truth, then truth no longer exists. It is simply an illusion. But Jesus hits the nail on the head when he goes to the gospel and says, I mean, in John 16, he says that they hated me, so they're going to hate you. Here's a big, I guess, a warning flag. If, if you're thinking about giving your life to Christ today and truly living for him, the world will hate you. They will. 
Because what we saw this morning, the baptism in Kelly's life, her testimony, what that is saying is that every single person needs Christ. If every single person needs Christ, then that means that you are not a good person and you can never be good enough. The world likes to hear that, don't they? Please tell me more about how I'm not good. Just one more time, Pastor Jeff. I just write it down on my bulletin time and time again. But listen, that's what drives us to Jesus. The fact that we can never be good enough. You say, now Jeff, let's go back to what Jesus was saying there. When he said, uh, love your enemies. Why should I love my enemies? Straight up, because Jesus commands it. We can give reasons, we can give explanations, but at the end of the day, if you and I claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, He is the one who gives us commands and we follow that. But it's not like He's the coach who doesn't care. It's not like He's the drill sergeant who just wants to grind your face into the dirt, but Jesus is there to help us with it. He says to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You say, okay, well, I remember what you said last week. You said, I would like to pray for people that God would get them back. As in precatory psalms. Just a note on prayer. Prayer is something that we ask for God to do great things that only God can do. Because if we're only asking in our prayers for things that we can do, then really, what is the point of praying? Praying does form our character. Yes, prayer is an act of humility. But when we see true praying in the Bible, it is asking for things that only God can give. And some of you have been deeply... There's no way we could get a group this big and this not be real. So I'm going to presuppose and assume this. Some of you have been deeply, deeply wounded and scarred by enemies in your life. Maybe even it's drama that's happened last night, this past week. And it is humanly impossible for you to forgive that. That's a good place to come to. Amen. It is human. You say, Jeff, that's a, man, that's, that's tough. That is, that is brutally difficult. No, it's not difficult. It's impossible for you to be able to forgive people on your own. That's where the power of Christ comes in. So prayer is asking God to help you do something that is humanly impossible. And the reason why we should forgive is because, number one, Jesus commands it. Number two, it's because it reflects God's loving nature. Go with me to verse 45. He says, the reason why you pray for those who persecute you and love your enemies is so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. In other words, the Father in heaven is gracious. The Father in heaven is giving. The Father in heaven is love. The Father in heaven is the one who holds salvation and gives salvation to whoever who would receive it. You're like, now hold on, Jeff. It almost seems like God doesn't hate evil when you say it like that. Does God hate evil? Absolutely. Let me give you a text. Psalm 73. Some people say, now Jeff, if God hates evil... And God hates what evil people do. Why does it seem that there are so many people, they screw people over in business, they cheat on their taxes, they cheat on their spouses, they do all sorts of things that even if you don't ever go to church, you say, man, that is jacked up. But it seems like everything goes well for them. Listen to what the Bible says in Psalm 73, beginning in verse 1. 
This is the psalmist who says, Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled and my steps had nearly slipped. Have you been to that point in your life? See, I know I'm supposed to love my enemies. I know I'm supposed to pray for those who persecute me. But it seems like in the steps of my belief, it looks like they're getting away with it. This happened to the psalmist. He says, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. When he saw the question that some of us ask, why do good things happen to bad people? And he goes and he describes their lives that seem to be without trouble and they're healthy and they're doing well financially. And then in verse 16, it turns and he says, but when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Have you been to that point to say trying to figure out how God is going to work all this is an intellectual burden? And he says, until this is beautiful. Until I went into the sanctuary of God and then I discerned their end. Truly you have set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment and swept away utterly by terrors. Meaning that the old Johnny Cash song. Do we have any Johnny Cash fans here this morning? God's going to cut you down. Y'all laugh. That's biblical. I'm serious. That That is an Old Testament, New Testament idea that there is a day coming, Acts chapter 17, in which God will judge the world in righteousness. And sometimes you and I, we say, oh, it's so difficult to love. What does it mean to love my enemies? It means to act towards them like Christ has acted towards us. That's love. That means when there is an enemy status on the relationship, you love. It means when there is enmity and friction and drama, it means that you go and you put yourself out there and you love. It means when they deserve everything but love, you give love. Because that's exactly what Jesus did for us. Notice how Jesus breaks this down in verse 46 and verse 47. He says, for For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? In other words, he's saying that crooks befriend crooks. And Jesus is saying that if you have a group of even Christian friends, and we pray to God that our Bible studies, Sunday school, Wednesday night, any ministry that we have here never becomes a clique. Do you know what a clique says? There is not a hill of beans difference between us and the people we say don't know Jesus. Cliques are ungodly. They are unbiblical. And the gospel is this. The gospel is not only that you make new friends because you're no longer worshiping yourself, worried about our people going to think I'm weird. That is thoroughly selfish. Are we okay? Some people, some of you have said this. See, you know, I don't, I don't have, I don't have any friends. Whose fault is that? If you go to people and you show them the love of Jesus and you have them to your home, you ask them out to eat, you ask them about their job and their kids, people will love you for that. It is being interested in other people. Praise God. 
When God delivers us from being self-absorbed to where we surround ourselves with friends, Jesus says there's no difference. Zero, not a zilch. So what should characterize the friendships of a Christ follower? We should surround ourselves with people that we are not in the same socioeconomic class with, the people that we don't have the same ethnicity, the same skin color, the same background, the same sense of humor, because Jesus came so that all people would be saved. Because often enemies start with a small friction, does it not? It starts with something small that then turns into something greater. You say, Jeff, now how should I love my enemies? Verse 44, where it says love. Here's a practical point. Do whatever is in your power to point them to Jesus Christ. You know, the reason why some people are enemies of others is because they like pushing buttons. You ever notice that? Button pushers, they like to see the reaction. When you give love, when they try to push your buttons, it makes it very unenjoyable for them. But the button pushers who enjoy seeing your face turn red, seeing you react, and it's out of a sinful pleasure that they have, being able to upset people on purpose, when you give love, they don't know what to do with it. And you say, now hold on, Jeff, you say that I'm supposed to love enemies. I didn't say that Jesus did, right? But even more so, we need to be very careful to understand that loving your enemies does not mean enabling them to do wrong. For example... If you have someone in your life and they have an addiction, something that is destroying them, and they keep coming to you for support for that habit, the most loving thing that you can do is not support the habit. Amen? That is love. Love is not being afraid to hurt someone's feeling because enabling a person to continue to do what is destroying them is the farthest thing from love. And sometimes this happens with teenagers, right? Students that are out of high school won't get a job. This often happens with guys. I saw this one advertisement that said, Teenagers tired of being harassed by your stupid parents? Act now, move out, get a job, pay your own bills while you still know everything. Come on, parents. You ought to be raising your hands, getting a little Pentecostal on that one. All right? Just say something. If you are, man, if you're finished with school, you know, we ought to be helping our parents, not sucking the life out of them. All right? We've got a whole class, and this is a whole other generation, people in my generation, younger, about 10 years older, that think that it is their God-given job to simply not do anything with their life except for play video games and watch TV and live with their parents and not contribute a thing. That is a shameful thing, especially if you're a guy. Grow up, get a job to the glory of God, and repent of the sin of laziness. And then finally, we're supposed to love them. Love them, which means doing whatever we can do to bring them to Jesus Christ. And finally, passionately pray for them. This is the toughest part, to come to repentance. Pray that God would break through the walls of their heart, and so that they would come to a place where they give Jesus their life. And sometimes you say, Jeff, it seems like Jesus is saying when you love your enemies and you pray for them, it almost seems like Christians are passive, weak people. Do not be confused because that is the farthest thing from the truth. Do you realize that all Christians, all people who follow Christ are the fightingest people you will ever meet? Some of you are scared now. They are the fightingest people you will ever meet in your life. Ephesians chapter 6, man, it says that for we wrestle not 
against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the present darkness of this age. In other words, the true enemy is not your enemy. It is the spiritual power of wickedness that fuels what they do. It is the demonic presence sometimes. It is Satan himself that is leading them to be an enemy of people who simply want to be at peace. So when you sign up to follow Jesus Christ, you are signing up to be a part of an army and to kneel down in repentance and brokenness and say, God, please break through their hard heart. If I can be very honest, you know what God often uses? You say, Jeff, my dad... He doesn't care a thing about God. I want him to be saved. Some of you parents say, I've got a child, son, daughter, and they, they could care less about Christ. They're a million miles away from him. Often what God uses to break down those walls between quote-unquote enemies is our humility and our brokenness. And sometimes what our arguments cannot do to intellectually convince them that they're going the wrong way, our tears, our compassion, and our brokenness can get through. Because it's very, very difficult to continue to kick a person who has prostrated themselves on the ground in humility and in brokenness. When Jesus says to love your enemies, he means to do everything you can do to bring them to Christ. And then to pray for those who persecute you, it means to pray the best for them. And do you know what the best is? That they would get saved. So as this is our time of commitment and invitation, I believe that the will of God for many of us in here is that we begin to pray the best thing for the people who care for us the least. Today, commit. Maybe it's every single day, maybe it's twice a week, that you, that you say, God, I will pray. I will even fast. I will go without food to pray that you would break through their hard heart. Let's uh, let's bow our heads and and close our eyes. This is a time that many of us, I'm sure, have had names and faces flash across the screen of our mind. and, And we just say, what they have done to me after all that I have given to them is simply unforgivable, Jeff. You're probably right. But once again, the gospel is that our sins, our ungratefulness, our turning a deaf ear to God, that is something that is unforgivable. We don't deserve to be forgiven. But yet Jesus came and he paid the penalty for our sins on the cross. So that if we trust in that, repent of what we've done, follow him, we will be set free. He did that for us. So through that, even if you don't think it's possible for you to forgive, you're probably right. Forgiveness is a supernatural thing. So why don't you begin to, in this moment right now, ask God to give you the ability to forgive. And to forgive means simply to release them to God, to release them to God. There may be others of you, so you say, Jeff, well, yeah, I don't even know if I, I, if I, that's the thing for me to do because I think I'm the one who needs to be forgiven by God first. You're absolutely right. We must first receive forgiveness before we can give it. And that's forgiveness that only comes from God. So in this moment right now, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ and you say, you know what? I need to give my life to Jesus. I need to trust him. I need to be saved and I need to follow in baptism at some point like Kelly did today. This moment right now, give your life to him.
Turn from your sin. Ask him to save you. And then for the believers in here, you've been sinned against. You've been sinned against greatly. It may be that you need to come and pray. Pray for people. They may not even be your enemies. They may be an enemy of someone that you care about. And you need to come and in humility say, God, I am beginning right now during this invitation time in front of you, in front of this faith family that I'm a part of, to pray the best thing for my enemy, which is for them to come to a place of repentance. Why don't you come? If you need to join this church, if you need to come for baptism, we ask you to come. We're going to stand and sing here in just a moment words of a, of a song about Jesus. And then that's an opportunity for people to come forward and make commitments. And the reason why we do that is because we don't want to be ashamed of Jesus. We want to stand up for him because he stood up and took our sin for the glory of God. So, Father, we pray that you would just work in this invitation, that we begin to sing, that you would give us courage to make the commitments to come pray for people, whatever it may be, to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.